0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Joan Junker, or as it's pronounced in Germany, Junker, is that right? Yes, Junker. All right, excellent. Um, And You're coming to us from a rather unique perspective, because most of the guests that we've had on here were employees of the Salt Lake Organizing Committee or SLOC. We have had a few who've worked for contractors and one that worked for a federation. You're coming to us from a different perspective, a sponsor perspective. So I'm super excited to have you here on our podcast today. So, Joan, welcome. How are you?
1: Thank you. Doing great and excited to be here and share about the sponsorship.
0: Well, I'm super excited to have you. Um, Before we dive into Salt Lake 2002, though, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're joining us from and what you're up to these days?
1: Okay. Um, I've been all over the world since Salt Lake. So I finally, um, quote, settled down here in Texas right now. So it's my home base. I'll say it that way, since I continue to travel elsewhere. (laughs) And I have shifted. I'm doing consulting and coaching right now. And I work with clients from whether it's major sporting events, major events to nonprofits, such as I have a client that I've worked with. that's in uh, mental. She does mental health podcasts currently. And and also an international law enforcement agency. And I work with uh, the clients to help them simplify their work, their lives and expand their audience. And I do that whether it's with sponsorship. Fundraising operations, or even content, or l- most people stations with people. So that's basically what I'm doing
0: now. Well, that's fascinating. And it sounds like those services would be needed now more than ever. I mean, during this crazy time that we're living in. Yes. It's, uh, it's nice to be able to take a step back and look and see how we can simplify things. You mentioned that you travel a lot for work, but has, uh, has the virus impacted the travel that you're doing?
1: Uh Absolutely. <laughs> I travel from here to the grocery store. (laughs) Uh, I do the basics. Actually, in Texas, we have been lucky. Our state has opened back up. So we're able to do things, do social distancing. But I have not been on any airplane to go anywhere like I would really like to do. (laughs) But it has shifted because I've done things online before. But it's really shifted the majority of my work online, which that's fine. That's great. I can still get things done. And I will say this. I get a lot done that way, but nothing beats face-to-face time. I love that face-to-face time being there with them. So, yes, it has shifted everything.
0: Well, I totally hear you about the face-to-face time. I miss it, too. I haven't been on an airplane for a business trip in almost a year and uh, doing things remotely is great because we actually can still do work. So I'm ha- I'm very grateful yeah. for that. Uh, but at the same time, I really do miss the face-to-face interaction. Any event, um, these these tools are very very helpful, and we're joining through one of them right now. Uh, so yes. <laughs> uh, it's making this podcast possible. So I'm very very happy to have you on. Now, as we just talked about briefly before we, we uh, started the call or started the podcast, I, I've been asking a new question this year of our guests, and it's the marooned on an island question. So if you were stuck on an island, let's say Tom Hanks castaway style, you knew you would eventually be rescued. So I don't want it to be too morbid. Um, but let's say yeah. you're stuck on an island for a week or something. You're okay. awaiting rescue and you can have one album, one movie and one meal. What would they be?
1: Well, let's start with the food first. <laughs> Gotta have survival. Since I'm on an island, I will definitely have the coconuts and the coconut water, the coconut milk that I like. I'm sure I'll have, find enough fruits. So I would like some Greek food with that because then I can add the olives, the cucumbers and have a you know great salad to go with all the fruit. And also I do like Panda Express. So <laughs> I kind of mix that up a little bit. As far as the album, I would, anything he diamond. And I don't know if you remember at Salt Lake when he had a concert while we were there in Salt Lake. It was fantastic. Not that I, that was my only concert of his. I've been to like five of his, so, but any album by him. And, but when I'm kind of dragging, I love Top Gun music. Get that that'll Get you rolling. And Andrew Lloyd Webber. I have a range. And, but my first album I had as a child was Charlie pride. So I have a wide range. So maybe can we do like one album with a lot of hits with mixed music?
0: <laughs> that would that's, work for me. That's right. I mean, today, everybody puts together playlists, right? And yes. you, you can have a playlist that's uh, 24 hours long, I suppose.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's and a way to get around. That battery lasts forever.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, those and are the, excellent choices. What about the yeah. movie?
1: The movie? Oh, <laughs> it's the sound of music. I know most people probably go crazy hearing me say that but I loved it. My sister and I in high school did a recital and we had several songs from that. And Julie Andrews, her voice is just fantastic. And that sometimes I'll be going about my day and that'll just be a great pick me up. And also, Cool Runnings. That's one of the movies when we were in Salt Lake that Vince talked to us about. And it was, it's a great movie, but also I love comedy, planes, trains and automobiles that I've been through all those scenarios <laughs> with a rental car, with an airplane or with a hotel or with the credit card. Where did it go? Where'd my bill go? But yes, I would say yeah, I, if I could narrow that down and maybe do that in one <laughs> long spiel again. But th- those are some of my favorites.
0: Uh, I think those are great. Um, it's funny. Neil Diamond's had a resurgence. You know, my, my daughter was in high school. She was on the drill team oh. in competitions. Yes. One team did a, did a, a, a routine to sweet Caroline and it became a thing around here. Everybody was singing it and uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. So yeah. Total props yes. on Neil Diamond. I love the eclectic meal choices from <laughs> coconut <laughs> water to Panda <laughs> express. Um uh, I think that's fantastic. And the movie choices are great too. So I think that's a winner all the way around. All right, let's go yeah. to Salt Lake. That's why right. we're here. Um, let's talk about uh, your unique uh, perspective working on the games with a sponsor. Um, so, why don't you tell okay. us uh, perhaps how you got involved with uh, the sponsor initially and then how that ended up uh, getting you involved in Salt Lake 2002?
1: Well, the way I got started is really interesting. And it, I, I don't know how it happened or the timing was perfect. I happened to be, I worked for Xerox. So I was in Cincinnati, worked in that office. And I happened to be in the demo room doing a presentation for Procter & Gamble. And then we decided to take a break. And I went to my desk and right in front of me is an email that was just sent. And I was to Tammy Power out in Salt Lake who was working for the Xerox team. And I was copied in on it. And it was from someone in Rochester. And she was looking for someone on the team in Salt Lake. And the person that responded said there are only two people in the whole company, company that have the experience she was looking for. And what she was looking for was somebody who had Xerox experience, but who also had printing and publishing and graphic arts background. So I saw that email and I just dropped everything. I said, hi, Tammy, I'm Joan. What do you need from me? And then it went from there but what was interesting about that is that was in 2001 in 1991 is when I started with Xerox and I had that Christmas I had gotten my family sponsors when they sponsor the Olympics they get they have the rights to use the logo of the Olympics so they were selling coffee mugs and I happened to see a coffee mug with the Barcelona logo (laughs) and i Got coffee mugs for everybody in the family, and I told my sister at that time. I I just looked at it and it hit me, and I said, you know, one day I'd like to work for a sponsor in the Olympics. Not even thinking that down the road it would be Xerox. Ten years later, that's what happened. That email comes across my desk, so um, I ended up interviewed with Tammy Power and Vince Schaefer, who was the director for the team there in Salt Lake, and then I ended up. Being hired in March or April, I can't remember when I moved out there, but I had never been to Salt Lake before, other than a 45 minute layover. So I thought, hey, I'll do it. It'll be fun, (laughs) something new and different. So I went, and what they needed me for the role that they hired me for was the Results Book Center Publishing Manager. So I had the responsibility to set up that whole center. That venue, plus the publishing center that was in the other location. So once I got there, though, I had a couple more venues added. <laughs> but that is how I heard about it. That's what happened, how it got started out there. And I loved it. I mean, I had no idea what I was getting into, but I was a sponsor. But what was interesting, everyone, committee employees, But I was on loan to the committee, but we all still work together like a team. And I love that in Salt Lake. That was fantastic. And it was, and, and even Chip talked about how the relationships, you build relationships over the years and then years later, you'll see somebody. And that's what has happened continually with me from Salt Lake. Salt Lake were my first Olympics, but I've done several since then.
0: That's a fantastic story here, Joan. There's a lot to there's a lot to dive into there. So yeah. I want to get into the details of the work that you did in a moment. But before I do, you mentioned that this was your first okay. time actually living in Salt Lake City. You'd only been in the airport in a layover. Yes. And I, I, I understand that feeling. It's, it's like uh, friends of mine, like you've been to so many different countries. Well, actually, I've been in the airports of a lot of different countries, but I haven't actually been in (laughs) some different countries. But so you come here, you actually are going to uh, live here. What was your first impression of Salt Lake City? And uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about life in Salt Lake outside of work.
1: Okay. Um, Salt Lake, when I first got there, I had seen it from the airplane in the airport, and I love the mountains and the snow. It was just beautiful. But I was inside, so I didn't know how hot or cold it was going to get. And it got both while I was there. But um, and I love the weather, too. It's fantastic. Even though it was hot, it was a drier heat. And I was used to humidity with the heat and cold. I expected that with the mountains, but it was absolutely beautiful. And the people were fantastic and so willing to help you out no matter what I did. I mean, even if it was at the store or whatever I needed to do, looking for an apartment or any of that. Everyone was just so helpful and they didn't expect anything in return. It was just their natural persona. And then the um, one day I was at work and I remember I always try to get the lay of the land when I first get there. And I remember talking to Alice. Alice Mahmood, when we reported uh, as a sponsor, we reported to Sharon Kingman in Telecom and then Alice in Technology where our offices were in technology building. And Alice, one day I talked to her and I said, she asked me how I like Salt Lake, and you know, how it was getting around and I just laughed. I said, Alice, this place reminds me of Tulsa. You have streets that go like a grid. You have like numbers one way in Tulsa. It was numbers one way and names the other way. And I said, it's just, she said, yeah. And she laughed, she said, and I used to live in Tulsa. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> But that made things even easier. So I would go out when I wasn't working. I'd go out and just walk. I mean, I know people probably think that's crazy, but it's amazing. The people you meet, the things you see. And it was just beautiful weather. And I, Where I lived was at a bed and breakfast, and it was just down the road from U of U. So the university was just right up there. And in fact, they would have people that would go to the medical part of it, and they would stay at that bed and breakfast where I was. So I got to meet people from other uh, the parts of the country coming in to do something with the school, too. So that was, to me, I enjoyed that. I, the more the merrier when I get to meet people like that. But it was also very nice and relaxing once I wanted just to chill out and relax. Other times, I would just drive to Park City just to be in the mountains or Soldier Hollow. I, my venues ended up being Soldier Hollow and another one in Park City. And it was fantastic just to go out there, just see the people. The weather was just great, except for the whiteout I drove into one time.
0: (laughs) Well, you got to tell us about that. You've just you just teased it. So you got (laughs) to tell us about the whiteout.
1: It was I was hurrying to get to Soldier Hollow for delivery. That should have been my clue. And I popped around this corner. I'd taken that road many times, gone out there. I came around this curve and all of a sudden, it was just a whiteout. And I didn't know. I'd heard people talk about it. I didn't know what it was. I learned very quickly. But I popped right out of it. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. Because I was like, okay, can anybody see my taillights? No, because I can't see in front of me. So do I slow down? I can't speed up because I, you know. But I knew the road well enough that I just took it around the curve. And it was just for a few feet. I was like, thank goodness, because... You got this. Well, I've lived in Texas many times, but that from that, that time I was from Cincinnati. So I was like, you got this girl from the Midwest, you know. <laughs> so it gave me a wake up call to be careful when I'm out there in the mountains. And then we did have storms. We had the storms on the day of my delivery for Soldier Hollow. I was the first delivery. So the whole Xerox team got together and we started at 10 in the morning. We had a snowstorm all day. We didn't get it done 10 1030 that night. So I found that my little Mahanda can drive in that stuff.
0: <laughs> I'm wondering if you can explain just a little bit more about the role and, and what print distribution is of results, you know, because people may not understand oh, yes. what that particular what that particular aspect of delivering the games is. Um, So maybe you can just give us a general overview of that, what the role was, what the responsibilities were, the outputs uh, that were generated and, uh, and the process that you went through to go uh, to do that.
1: Okay. Um, When my first day there, I walk in, I meet Tammy. I'd only met her on the phone in the interview. So I met Tammy and, and um, she told me, okay, the Xerox group's over here. We're up here with technology. We're, on, we're right here. She said, okay, that's your desk. Now come over here. We're going into this meeting room and I want you to meet Chris Schlater. I was like, okay. And he's gonna talk to you about results. Oh, okay. She said, all of this doesn't make sense to you right now, but you're gonna get Olympics 101 really fast. <laughs> and then I walk in, hi, Chris, I'm Joan. And Chris is like, Hi, Joan, I'm Chris, and this is ORIS, Olympic Results Information System. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I was game for anything. I loved it. And he explained to me what results were, and then the Results Book Center, what it, its responsibility was. And it's, well, it's, it's still results, but the Results Book Center only worked on the final results. We created books. But results, we did it every, Xerox did it every single venue. And what happened was, Chris explained to me what results were. What it is, is you have an event, you have individual heats. As soon as that individual heat is finished, you see the result on the television screen. You see it on the scoreboard at the venue. And then it fed our printers. It came across the network and went to our printers. Well. Our printers, we printed a copy of that, and then that had to go to the judge of that sport, and they had to sign off on it to make it official. Once they signed off on it, then it went back to the results room at each of the venues, and then Chris already had it allocated based on the sport and the media, whether it was at that time Tribune, newspaper, or broadcast. And there were, there were some starting to be online at that point, but he had the quantities figured out. So the volunteers in the result room would press, would print those individual results and then go put them in the cubby holes for the press. And they had to do all that within five minutes. Then on, let's say there was an event that went for three days and the third day they had all the finals. Well, then Those finals, once they were done, they signed them off at the venue. Once they did that, they scanned that in. Once that was approved, it was sent to me where my location was. Most people didn't know this. I was located in the headquarters building downtown in the basement, and it was a 24-7 operation. And I had, this is where I met Chip's wife, Lauren. She helped me hire one night. We had to hire, we had to interview over 100 people because I had to hire almost 100 people for those three shifts. And those people were the ones that ran and printed the books once the finals were completed. Once we printed those that night, we had to have them on the dock at the main press center, the MPC, by 5 a.m. so that the press had their final books because they wanted to take them home with them. Well, what we did there. I, along with Vince, he shared with me, and I, we talked about going digital. We had t- done a test. They had done a test in Sydney, but we had done the increase for the press up to 6,000 CDs. So they didn't have to take books home. All they had to do was, we'll ship them a CD. And they liked that. Well, when we went to Athens, one of the things that Xerox, what we did is we talked to the IOC and AFOC and said, look digital is the way you need to go. So how about just putting all your final books on digital? Then the press can have them. As soon as you have the CDs burned, they can have that. They ship easier. They have them longer term. And then we also had them do more of the results online so the press could access them online rather than print everything out. And um, Tammy had the main press center in the IBC in Salt Lake. And I had those in Athens, and we were able by doing the digital reduce substantially the printouts. So that really made a huge difference. And the um, the Chris uh, Chris Slater was also in Athens, so he worked with me on that. And what he and I did there, I know this isn't Salt Lake, but he and I, because of our experience prior. We had some new sponsors in Athens. So we had a group meeting with all the people involved and just went through the workflow process and said, "Okay, this is where we're going. This is what we've done. This will work. Now, you guys. And they would say what works for them, what didn't work. And then we came to an agreement on the whole workflow process and it made things much easier. And, you know, Olympics, you have that learning curve that starts high and starts dropping. Well, we went in and said, we don't want to start high. We want to start a little lower because we already have people that have experience. Let's not waste people's time or waste the money.
0: Well, it's interesting. I mean, technology has continued to march forward uh, since those, since those days. Yes. Um, and, and I know Rio was kind of a watershed there where they decided we're, you know, because of budget uh, primarily uh, we got to get rid of the paper and I'm curious how much paper did it take <laughs> in Salt Lake to 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 run this entire operation it's got to be thousands and thousands of sheets of paper
1: you know I I don't I don't know Salt Lake right off the top of my head but I do know like in the publishing center for instance we ran three large printing devices and because we printed books and that's what the client wanted um i can't remember the quantity but i do know the the volume and the time frame the volume that we printed within like well we didn't even print the first three days because they didn't have finals till like day three so we printed in 14 days what most of our clients would print in a full month about average what they would print in a month so we print if we had printed and then we had, you know how we have the two week time frame or 10 days in between the Olympics and the Paralympics. And then you do it again with Paralympics or whatever out on the out at the venues. But the quantity request at that time was not as high. But Paralympics now are kept substantially.
0: All right. One other thing that you mentioned uh, was the very tight time windows. You had five minutes (laughs) (laughs) to do this. You had to get everything done and on the docks and shipped and to the, uh, to the main press center by five o'clock in the morning. So you're running against these really tight deadlines. How did you make that all happen and stick with these very, very tight deadlines?
1: Um, It goes with the whole picture. And I talk about the workflow process. You have everything and that whole process you have to watch. And with that process, you have to have a backup. The one thing like a lesson learned that has been with me ever since Vince always said you don't have a backup. You have a backup of a backup of a backup. <laughs> and for instance, my Result Book Center, I had two more or three more backups had the something happened to the publishing center, the main publishing center, the Result Book Center. Let's say that venue cuz the publishing center is the other building. So I had at least two more backups. So if something had failed, I could still be up and running because Xerox learned that from previous games when something happened with technology. And this is what, this is something that I really want to make a point that most people don't realize. When something happened in Atlanta with technology, it wasn't just one sponsor that had a problem. It was all of us that had a problem that we had to solve. And what I have found is if you looked at Salt Lake, you see the relationships between like Kodak, Xerox, Panasonic, all these sponsors, they were pretty tight because normally outside of Olympics, we're all competition. But within the Olympics, we're all together. We don't share company secrets, but we work together because if I fail, then they fail. If they fail, then I fail. And, you know, failure is not an option. We want this to be successful because the athletes have worked all their lives to get there. This is for them and their families. So what I also did with the publishing center, once I hired those individuals, the reason that we had to hire them so fast in a real short time frame, just a few hours (laughs) or a day or so, um, I had a training session and I trained all of them on the whole workflow. That way they could cross, they were cross-trained because once you get going, it gets kind of mundane and I want to, I don't want them, you know, forgetting something or getting sidetracked. So we would cross train. Then I would rotate them on different shifts. Or, well, not on the different shift, but within the shift on different things to do so that they had something new, something fresh and keep them going. But I had backups for them. I had a backup plan if somebody got sick, but it (laughs) ended up being me that I got wiped out. And I ended up by the time the games happened, when I talked, my voice came out like a foghorn. (laughs) I got that, you know, where you got, it wasn't starting to get laryngitis, but not quite. (laughs) And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, why not now? Why can't you wait two weeks, three weeks? (laughs) But it hit then, but it, it, I was still able to keep moving. It was funny because the people I hired, they were like, oh, Joan, you need to take some of this. Here's some C for you and somebody else's. Here's some silver, collodial silver. <laughs> and then somebody else's. And then they they really helped me. There, and they were all local people. And I was like, these people are so caring. I'm like, I'll never forget Salt Lake. <laughs> but it's, that's the other thing is, and uh, lessons learned, stay healthy. So many people spend time taking care of everybody else and working so hard on things that we get sidetracked and don't stop and take that time out. And that's something that, that I I still have to work on, but I've learned to do.
0: No, it's a great lesson to it's a great lesson to share. We've 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 had a, a few people actually say the same thing that they had to learn to take care of themselves because you. You, you just burn it so hard uh, to get ready for the games. Um, If you don't take care of yourself, you just completely fall to pieces and it takes you a while to recover. I want to come back to the backups of the backups of the backups. So you had backups (laughs) for equipment, you had backups for people, but were there any glitches, you know, where things kind of went a little screwy, but you able, you were able to recover and, uh, and get, and keep things moving.
1: Yes. And that actually happened at one of my venues. I had a Soldier Hollow and one in Park City, and then I had the headquarters. Well, we also had backups for us. So Soldier Hollow and I can't remember which one of his venues. We had one of the machines go down. Well, the way we're configured on the venue, we had it set up. So we had like our desktop printer. It's locked in storage. And it, it's there for a reason, just in case one of the printers on the floor goes down. And that's what happened. So what you do, we have an engineer on each venue during the games. They're not there before. They're just there during the games. And they went and replaced the other piece of equipment. And the other one, they have two. So the other one kept running. And then the second one's replaced and fixed and then it's up and running. So it just keeps things flowing. And that's what we had to learn. That you learn from previous games. That's one thing I loved about Xerox is um, Vince was always don't reinvent the wheel, learn what we've done previously that didn't work, fix it and keep learning new things and keep adding to it. And then we share it with the team. So it's, you know, learn and then share it and repeat. Learn, share, repeat. Learn, share, repeat.
0: (laughs) So so just a very quick question. Yes. Um, during the games, did you spend your entire time locked up in rooms printing things, or did you get a chance to go out and see some competitions and actually enjoy yourself a little bit?
1: Um the because of the result book centers 24-7, I actually had a little cot up in the loft where the break room was. (laughs) So a few nights I went and laid down just for a couple hours. But one night I actually went. To my apartment for I think three hours. And that's when the shenanigans broke out at one of the tents downtown with the kids. <laughs> and it was like, I just walked out the door, just drove out, and I saw these kids, one pushed another kid in the grocery cart. And I thought, somebody's having fun. And then I found out about a later what happened. <laughs> and then um I came back and I was like, oh, okay, it's all handled. No big deal. And then I went to Soldier Hollow. And I went there to to work, but then I actually went to a couple of events. So that and I'm trying to think the first one I went to, Luge I think. I was just amazed at that venue. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is so cool. This is what we're doing. <laughs> and the people, it was just so exciting with the people there, the spectators and everyone there and the athletes and then soldier hollow. When I went out there, I got to see the athletes. I mean, you see all these trailers set up and all that, but once you get out there, when the games start and it's so much fun and I'm like, good, this is, this is good.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to ask you to kind of take a mental survey here of all of your memories of working in Salt Lake. Can you choose one? It could be more than one, all right. But let's say one <laughs> that you would consider to be your Salt Lake goosebump moment.
1: Um, I have a couple and I'll tell you why. And that one kind of repeats itself every time at every Olympics and Paralympics, both. But one of them, I was out at... Deer Valley with Casey. We were wrapping up and we were (laughs) this girl that has a thing about heights. We were up on the side of the mountain. We had the two or three trailers stacked up there. We came out, we got the result rooms taken care of, and everybody had just shut down and left. And we came down and we were walking down the mountain. I'm like, I just stopped and like, oh Casey, look at that. That looks like a Christmas card. It's absolutely beautiful. It was just night and then the city, the lights were on and the snow. It was just stunning. (laughs) Casey, he turns and looks at me and kind of chuckles because he's from there. (laughs) So he knew his Midwestern girl there. But it was just absolutely stunning. The view was. And then the other one that really, especially Salt Lake with it's opening and closing ceremonies and with the Olympics and Paralympics it to see the looks on the athletes faces when they come around in the parade of nations, they're just in awe of being there. It's just, Oh, isn't this like I was the first time I went to one (laughs) event. And then when they get done with the, after the parade of nations, they're standing out in the middle And you could looking down, you see this patchwork of color because of the different countries uniforms. And then during closing ceremonies, the same athletes come out and then they are so relaxed. They're taking pictures of each other. They're just just chilling out. Then when they get in the middle, they're no longer in that patchwork. They're all blended in. And I'm it. I didn't think about it until I saw it the first time. And I was like, oh, my goodness. These people have made friends for a lifetime from other countries and it's going to be for generations. The impact, nothing like that will ever have such a positive impact on their life. And it's not only going to affect them, it affects their family and their friends. And that's, it affects how they relate to other people and the friendships that they forge for years. I mean, now, When I was in Greece, I ended up I had to move out of an apartment between my the Olympics and Paralympics. So at work, one of the ladies there said, well, why don't you stay at my brother's place? Well, I stayed there. Come to find out their dad was the one that ran in the Olympics. 1936, when Adolf Hitler was at the Olympics and he had run run in Boston, won the marathon in 46. And I was like, "Oh, oh my goodness!" <laughs> and I, I remember all these things: are, the Greek friendship with the the U.S. with all the different athletes and their friends. And there's people that are still friends today, just because somebody met someone years ago. It's just, it, and I'm like, everything that I've done has been for the Olympic athlete paralympic athletes their families for that moment because it is just it it took my breath away
0: oh that's absolutely fascinating i'm so glad that you mentioned that that's kind of what's happening with us as the workers behind the scenes we also mingled and built relationships that uh, in many cases last into the current day and have yes. not only have uh, impacted ourselves, but also our families and our friends yes. and, and loved ones. So I think that's fantastic to wrap us up. Mm-hmm. You've, you've given us a snippet of your life after Salt Lake uh, going on and uh, working in various games and what you're doing now. And you've also shared with us some really salient career advice, mm-hmm. uh, life advice. So I'll, I'll give you the floor to kind of uh, just kind of give us a, you know, tie a bow on this, uh, and and um, you know, if there's any other additional learnings or advice that you want to share, or story post Salt Lake, uh, the time is yours.
1: Okay. Well, one thing is never stop learning. Once you stop learning, it's like it's done. Um, but no, um, I would say simplify. And for many years, I couldn't even think to put it into the one word. <laughs> I was like trying to make people's lives easier doing less. And I thought, wait a minute, it's just simplify. And whether it's your personal life, professional life, whatever you're doing, this whole lockdown experience or the experience we're all going through right now around the world, it's like reprioritize what's important, find out what's important and focus on that, simplify. And like for some people, it was, it's, you know, faith, family and then work others it it's for some of us it used to be work 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 (laughs) so that's why i say you know this is a wake-up call stop and reassess never give never give up just keep moving forward i know we run into a lot of roadblocks i've had many in my life i know all of us have had them but even if it's just one small step forward just keep moving forward and one of the things I found that works for me that helps me a lot is to serve others, to focus on them, not make it about me. How can I help them? How can I simplify their life or their work? Or how can, you know, what can I do? Because once that focus gets off of you, it just, you don't have all that pressure and you're helping them. And like, you know, earlier I was talking about take care of yourself. And that is a lesson that I'm still learning. (laughs) I one of the things that I have have happened is I worked in one of the Olympics too much. I ended up in the hospital with food poisoning. And another one, I was in a hurry to get to a meeting. I tripped and hit my head, and had a head injury. In another city, I ended up um, <laughs> I ended up with another situation where I ended up in the hospital. So I'm like, you know, this is enough. At what point do I need to tell myself, stop, just relax and then focus on what's important and do what needs to be done. And if some things fall off the plate, they fall off the plate, but I'm not the only one there to do it. There are others who can help. Oh, another lesson that we learned from our deliveries. When we delivered our equipment at each of the venues, we Xerox delivered our own equipment in salt in Salt Lake. And part of that was, well, the reason we did that is we learned a lesson from one of the previous games where we did not deliver our own equipment. and the company that delivered it, they actually left the back door open of one of the trucks, forgot to tie down the big copier and took off down the road and the copier, came out of the vehicle and hurled down the street and hit a car. So that guy that his car was hit had to explain to his insurance company what happened and you know, try to convince them it really did happen, but there were witnesses. So <laughs> little things like that. As you go along, you learn, and you, know, you don't want to re- you don't repeat it. So that's why we always did TOK, our transfer of knowledge with her team.
0: So yeah, the lesson learned. Yeah. uh, Make sure that your stuff is properly tied down so it doesn't fall out of the back of the truck and hit another vehicle. (laughs) I love that lesson.
1: Yes. And make sure that you have witnesses. So if you have to explain that one to the insurance company that they fully understand, it really did happen that way.
0: (laughs) All right. So there you go, kids, all those lessons that you need to learn to successfully operate (laughs) the games right here. Yeah, I'd love to take time and, and uh, dive into all those stories. I wish we had the time. If people want to know, uh, if they want to connect with you and they want to learn more about how you could potentially help them simplify their life or the work that they're doing in their organizations, or if they just want to talk shop and, and reminisce about the Salt Lake uh, 2002 games or other games editions, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you?
1: Best way would be LinkedIn that way they can contact me anytime of the day, anywhere in the world. But if they want to email me, that's fine too. And my email is joan.junker1 at gmail.com and I'll get right back with them. And I'd love to hear from anybody and everybody.
0: (laughs) Okay. Excellent, Joan. Well, thank you so much for taking the time this morning uh, to speak with us and, and share memories of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic games Listeners, thank you for participating. Please like and subscribe to our podcast. We'll catch you again soon. Joan, thank you so much.
1: Thank you.